What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Today, we have a special edition of the Josh Marshall Podcast. We are going to talk about TPM. We're going to talk to you a little about uh, the organization itself and how it functions and its history. Um, and basically, you know, and to some extent, how it has survived as long as it has. Because, you know, I was, I was, uh, I was talking to a reader, uh, talking to a reader in, in, in person. I met with uh, one of our readers in person in, uh, in New York today, and I mentioned, and it sort of surprised me when I, when I kind of ran the numbers in my head and, and, and mentioned it, that TPM has been around for almost 23 years, which is, like, which is basically like geologic time when you talk about uh, journalism in, in the 21st century. And, you know, uh, the most important thing about what we do at TPM is the stuff we publish, the news we publish, the questions that we provide some level of analysis and understanding and commentary on and so on and so forth. And, you know, we, uh, I was talking to one of my colleagues a few days ago and we were, we were thinking about some like strategic questions about the future of the organization, uh, you know, where we should be investing our money, what kind of, what, you know, what kind of, uh, reporting resources and stuff like that. And we were getting into some, um, specifics, but I said, you know, we should, we should step back and think about what in the current news environment, uh, with the resources we have, how can we bring as many new facts and as much clarity as possible to the political news ecosystem? Like that's the, that's the fundamental strategic question. We can talk about the sort of, you know, um, once we once we answer that, um, some more practical ones. But that's really, that's the fundamental one. But for all these fundamental questions, none of these fundamental questions get to be asked if the business can't sustain itself. If it can't pay the salaries and the benefits and the rent and all that kind of stuff. And when I got in, um, when I got involved in this uh, 20 plus years ago, um, I actually had a little experience with with business stuff because I had, I had, had a, a kind of out of my back pocket business when I was in graduate school doing something uh, doing something totally different. So it's always been something I think I've kind of gravitated towards in a weird way. But I didn't have an understanding of like the mechanics of how you run a business, how you run a journalism business. Um, and that goes 
from everything to a lot of very mundane stuff that if you don't get right can become a huge problem. Like, how do you pay a payroll? You know, just having the money is, is the big part, but you have to find a way that it gets, that the money gets transferred into people's bank accounts. Well, how's that work? Who does that? And uh, how much taxes do you withhold? And if you uh, buy people health, uh, health insurance, how do you do that? Where do you buy a health? How do you get a health plan? Not for yourself, but for a whole group of people, right? I had no idea. I, I went to graduate school for history. We didn't, we didn't learn any of this stuff. So, but those are the mundane things that you've got to figure out pretty quickly. Um, but then there's some more, m more basic ones about where's the money going to come from? And how do you, how do you keep it coming in? And how do you understand the business you're in to make that all work? So we're going to, we're going to, um, we're going to talk about a lot of that today. And uh, we have my co-host, Kate, and we have an interloper today on the Josh Marshall <laughs> podcast. That's Joe Ragazzo, who's, who's our, our, our publisher here at TPM. And, uh, you know, for those of you who aren't too steeped in the journalism uh, uh, world, the publisher is, the, is the, fundamentally the business side of the operation. Right. It's it's not purely business there. There's a it it, it reaches into uh, a lot of different things. It kind of what it doesn't do is usually the pure editorial, but it's it's the fundamental responsibility is to make everything work and keep the revenue coming in so that the journalists can do what they do. So we're going to get into, again, how the, what this thing is, what TPM is, how it works and, 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 and stuff like that. And yes, we have a, we have, we're going to, so it's going to be, you know, your standard uh, high quality content. We've got a bit of an ulterior motive. We're doing this uh, journalism fun thing. So it'll give you some sort of, you know, background when you, when, when you find out all the interesting intricacies and how fascinating this is. And honestly, it is fascinating, right? There's various points in, the time that I have been involved in doing this, um, most of the time, I was the the lead business person, the person doing all the business stuff, and that's changed. It changed, you know, gradually, and then uh, Joe became publisher uh, a few years ago. But there's a lot of times in which, in some ways, I felt like my um, creative energies were more um, exercised and challenged and I got more satisfaction through running the business than I did through what I was writing. And, you know, for me, there's kind of, it, it's, it's, it, it, it's not like it's an either or, right? I mean, it's sort of like the, what made my, my role creating and running the business so, uh, rewarding and interesting is that in this line of work, you know, just sort of being, I don't know, a little cocky or whatever. I know a lot of really good journalists, right? I know a lot of journalists who can do things I can't do. You know, when I first got into this, I thought I was going to be a long form magazine guy. Right. And I never had to completely confront this because of how my, um, how my journalism career, uh, um, evolved. But the reality is I had a hard time with that. Just the way my brain works. I, it was, a, it was a, um, it was always a bit of a challenge for me to be able to pace a five or eight or 10,000 word piece. 
right? There's some people who kind of like really get that, you know, like screenwriters, what, you know, you introduce the characters, you do this, you do that. And, um, I think maybe I'm just kind of a bit of a too frenetic a person. That was always a bit of a challenge for me. So other people were better at that than I was. Uh, but as I was doing this, I thought like, you know, yeah, this person, you know, this person can, uh, this person can do this better than I can. And this person can do that. But like, how many of them can run the business part of it? Not that many. All right. There's something I'm pretty good at. Right. Um, and being able to do both and see how both things were moving at the same time, uh, that's pretty challenging and that's rewarding in its own way. So as I said, we're going to get you into some of the nuts and bolts of how this operation works. And as along the way, you're going to see like, wow, great organization, fascinating stuff. And it's really important. So then you're going to say like, you know what? I wasn't going to contribute to the journalism fund, but now I've heard all this great content. I, I'm totally going to because I'm, I'm, I'm in. Right. So that is our mission in uh, in this thing. We're going to get to that in a second. I, I'm I'm going to I'm going to start out though by something that is is kind of a, a a basic part of the story of of this organization, and that is from about uh, 2003 or so to uh, around 2016, give or take. Uh, the company was basically 100% funded by advertising. There's a couple different like flavors of advertising, but it was all advertising. You know, there was maybe like two or three percent of the revenues that came from something else, all advertising. And then between uh, maybe 2014 and round about 2017, 2018, we went from overwhelmingly advertising to overwhelmingly subscriptions, and I've compared it in my own head to it's sort of like changing the engine on your plane when you're flying at 40,000 feet. It's not optimal and uh, it's pretty challenging, but that's actually what happened. And now, so like I said, you know, you go back 10 years, TPM was basically 100% uh, advertising based. And now we are close to uh, 100% subscription based. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's like, 85 or 90 percent so pretty you know pretty much and that is that's one of the um that's one of the basic things the history of this organization trajectory how we've kept it how we kept it going and one thing about what i've just described to you is um that is sort of implicit in what i just described is this in 2014 2015 when joe and i were already working together uh, if if your basic revenue stream is going to go from 100% to like 5%, the logical thing is just to get out of the business. What are you doing in this business? It's a terrible business. You 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 take your resources, you get the, get the fuck out, right? Um, but the reason that we were able to do this is that fundamentally, I mean, look, I I love having you know having making a nice income i want this company to be super profitable it's not it's not you know um uh philanthropy this we're not like you know monks and nuns here or something like that but fundamentally this business exists because we want it to be a journalism business tpm exists because we want to do journalism we want to make money doing journalism but fundamentally we want to make money so we can keep doing the journalism and have some fun life outside of doing the journalism and one of the things that distinguishes us from other organizations 
is that many, many journalism organizations are owned by big corporations. And so if the, if the business, if the subsidiary is not performing, you get into a different business, right? And that wasn't an option for us because that's not why we're in business in the first place. So you see this place kind of, you know, shuddering, going under, laying off half its staff or something like that. Um, they're not doing it for nothing. Everybody gets mad at a company when that happens. They're doing it because they don't have enough money. They can't afford it anymore. Um, but when you really want to not just make money, but keep doing journalism, you think, okay, all of the money's going away. How do we come up with another way to get money? Even if it's hard, even if it's not going to be that profitable. And that's what we did. Um, what, 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 uh, Joe and I did, uh, you know, back in 2014, 2015, 2016, is how do we, we got to build a new business model. And that's what we did. And now TPM basically functions by, um, we are, you know, more or less all subscription based. And in the, in the last few years, we have used the journalism fund to make up the, the gap that we're left with and hopefully invest in some new stuff to bring you more news to expand our operation and stuff like that. So that is kind of an overview of what we're going to talk about and also the secret plan in the background to get you to contribute to the journalism fund. So uh, you know my co-host Kate Riga. Let me introduce uh, our colleague Joe Rigazzo. So Joe, uh, big, big, big publisher dude, big shot. What, what's, what's the story? <laughs> well, there's a few things that you said there that I think are really important that separate TPM. Um, and that I think about a lot. Uh, the, f the first one is simply that we want to be doing journalism here. And I think something that I don't know if it's lost on the general public, but I, I just I would imagine the general public doesn't spend a ton of time thinking about it is uh, what you said, that journalism is, in fact, a bad business. Like <laughs> if you want to make a lot of money, journalism is really you don't really want to be in journalism. Um, you might want to be in media. And a lot of times those words get conflated or you might want to make content and there's money in content. Um, but actual journalism that is like investigating things and reporting on public corruption and holding people accountable, it's a bad business. And it's a bad business because uh, there's an expectation and a desire for it to be uh, widely available. So um, if... You know, some people say, well, you could just monetize it with subscriptions as if that's like a salve, that's like a silver bullet. But even if you're successful doing that, which is very difficult because people are hesitant to pay because they think they can get, you know, information somewhere else. Um, there's still this moral imperative of like, well, we don't want to hive off all of the news from people. We want people to be able to read it. And that that creates um, difficulty. And that's one of the reasons that the journalism fund is so important is because it enables us to give free memberships to people who can't afford them. And I think that's something that we were, as far as I know, we were way ahead of and not a lot of other outlets do that. And I think something that feeds into this idea that journalism should be should be free or it should be widely available. There's like three things I think of. One is that it should like it's a it's a public service on some level, unlike a lot of businesses. It's a public service. And so it should be widely available. The second thing is most people grew up in the in not most people, maybe now, but, you know, people grew up with in, in the newspaper era. And, you know, there's like this hundred twenty five year period or so where it just so happened that the business models of the main providers of journalism had monopolies 
on the advertising market. The only way to advertise anybody was to go to a newspaper. And so you're able to bring down the cost of news dramatically. And so you could buy a newspaper for really cheap because the um, because uh, the ads were making up the margin. And then you get to the third factor, which is, just, which is just with the advent of the web, people expected everything to be free. And only now we're kind of putting that uh, genie back in the bottle. And then I think something else that you touched on briefly that I think is really important is that a lot of companies will have journalism wings. Uh, and you, I'm not, not to name names, but you'll see companies that when things get hard, like what division gets cut, and it's it's going to be the journalism division because it's going to be a loss leader. And when it comes time to talk to your shareholders, who ultimately you have to operate in the best interest of your shareholders as a as either a VC funded company or a publicly traded company, they're going to start to ask, "Why are we putting out this stuff that loses money when we could simply not?" put it out and then we become profitable. Um, and so I think that's the challenge. And that's why a place like TPM is special is because um, there have definitely been times and we've had the conversations where we could do things to make more money um, or pivot to make more money or cut costs, uh, do various things that would severely affect the quality of the journalism. And we don't do that. And we have the freedom to not do that. Right. You know, we don't have corporate backers. Like you said, we don't have shareholders who could tell us uh, what to do. Um, ultimately, it just I mean, you could tell us what to do, Josh. I guess ultimately that's the uh, that's the only imperative we have. But since you want to do journalism, like we get to operate with that as our main mandate. And it's right on our about page. And I, I'm, I'm really proud of it because it says our three goals are just uh, we want to do good journalism. We want to be a good place to work and we want to make enough money uh, to do both of those things. And that sounds like really simple or trite even, but those are not the objectives of most places. The most most places, their objective is to increase margins, to grow uh, for the sake of growth. We have to grow to keep up with costs, but we don't grow just to grow um, for no reason. There's always a, a why. Uh, so those are some of my initial thoughts. Uh, I love journalism. That's why I'm, you know, you're a history major i studied philosophy so we don't have like a lot of business people at tpm most of our publishing team was like uh, liberal arts majors so we're a very unique uh, business team in that respect um so yeah that's those are my thoughts if i if we just make one point before before um kate jumps in you know that is we we have all seen these cases where again journalism organization moving along but there's something happening at the corporate level so suddenly it's gone. Um, and, uh, you know, I, there are a number of reasons why I think it's important for, uh, a lot of, you know, there can be lots of different kinds of journalism organizations. There's ProPublica. It's a, it's a nonprofit. That's fantastic. No one comes close to doing what they do, but I think it's important for the bulk of, uh, journalism organizations to be companies, to be private companies, to be to be in the for-profit um, space, and I and I think that for a lot of reasons. So it's not when we talk about um, you know the business side of it. At least for me, it's not saying oh you know the quest for profits and all this kind of stuff. I think that is a healthy thing, um, but it is really important to have some organizations that again they are the people who are who are fundamentally in control. Their goal is to is to be doing journalism, 
And that makes a big that makes a big difference because as Joe and I have both alluded to, um, there's various things that have happened in the last ten years in this organization that if we're trying to like maximize profits, we, we just get out of this business. <laughs> it's not a good business to be in. And another point you uh, alluded to, Joe, which is really critical and not everybody understands, is that in most cases, the kind of news we do is a loss leader for organizations. It's sort of a prestige play, uh, you know, kind of public interest play where you're getting your money from like the, the you know, the recipe site or the kind of the celebrity site or something that's not journalism at all or, or, or TV shows or whatever. And those are awesome, right? Those are great. I love TV shows too. Um, but basically we are in the loss leader business, right? <laughs> that's our whole business, which means it's challenging. Anyway, uh, Kate, I, and I'm curious, I don't know if I'm sure you have a, a lots of things. I'm just curious um, as a, you know, as, as, as relatively new relative to Joe and I, but also um, as a reporter here, as a staffer, just kind of, I don't know, I'm just curious what your experience has been. I mean, maybe I'll, maybe I won't <laughs> like what you say, but I'm still, <laughs> well, I'm it's still curious. There are so many, I mean, different pieces, right? Like one, which is less touchy feely is just the fact that I have never been laid off as a journalist, which is like a super unique <laughs> experience in this field. Um, I mean, I've been, I've had staff writer jobs and I've been at TPM for like five years now. Um, and it's funny because this, like I'm learning stuff right now, as you guys are talking about the business background, cause it's like, that's not, side of the company that I ever really interact with. But um, I think it has become notable of late and some kind of like big wiggy type reporters tweeted about this amid the the most recent kind of bloodletting at, at the major companies and when BuzzFeed News went down and everything that like TPM's longevity in this environment is like so unusual. And the, the other piece of that is the stability of the jobs for the people who work here. Um, so I think that is something that has made my experience as a young journalist, like distinctly different from most people who are um, in the industry. And then also, you know, the reason that we're kind of able to do the kind of news that we're known for doing, which is, you know, we don't ever have to kind of like do both sides bullshit or like make sure we appease, you know, whoever like the, those things that have been just like plaguing the news industry and sparking all these like navel gazy conversations about what is journalistic neutrality and like how to deal with Trump. I think in some ways, like we had a much easier time with that than other outlets because we weren't having to balance those like corporate interests or, uh, you know, we still want Republicans to come on our show. So we can't be that mean to Trump. Like that's just like not part of our thing because it, it is all, you know, the the online journalism kind of model. So I think in that way, being divorced from the needs of like access journalism um, is also something that's like preserved our kind of unique place in the landscape. And that piece of it trickles down into what I do all the time, you know, because there's never, you know, our, our kind of editorial conversations about what stories to do never have that pat, uh, the kind of like layer of, um, you know, but like, who's this going to anger? And do we have to tread lightly in this area that just like never really comes into it, which again, is like just very, you know, unique in this landscape. Uh, there's something that you touched on, Kate, that I think is really important, which is, um, it seems like common sense, but it's really actually not that when you work at a journalism company that your primary goal should be to serve 
uh, your readers. And that sounds like obvious, but it's it's not always as obvious. Uh, it, it's not always the case at all uh, at all uh, outlets. And not only that, but outlets have different audiences. I think, right? Like I, w- I worked at a large financial news company at one at one point, and I was told like explicitly, your audience is bankers, and your objective there is to help them navigate financial markets to make good investment decisions. And there's nothing wrong with that in the abstract. In fact, it's good to know who your audience is. But there's a lot of places where that those audiences get mixed together. You know, like, is your audience, are you writing for, for lobbyists and the people in the halls of power? Or are you holding those same people accountable? And sometimes those people are like, they're working side by side. And that's a lot. A lot of that is driven by business models and trying to appeal to the most number of people to get the widest, the largest type of advertising. And I feel bad for the journalists sometimes because I don't think, you know, they're not thinking that way. Um, But it's this misalignment with the business and the journalism at times. And I think one of the great things about TPM, and I hope I'm saying this clearly, is simply an alignment where you start off with the values, the business, and the journalism, and they're all in alignment. And that's not an easy thing to do because financial pressures can pull you in a lot of different directions where you end up in in it strains your identity and who you are. And then that makes it difficult to sell memberships because people are not totally sure like if you're for them or if you're actually for the people you're covering. And that's a tricky thing. And I think that I, I'm, it makes me happy to work at TPM knowing that those things are, are in alignment. You know, it, it, Kate, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to add really quick that the on the readership point, that is another uh, kind of huge thing that I forgot to mention, which is I think other than us, a lot of outlets, like you either have the kind of more tradey publications where the people they're writing for are like, you know, like immigration policymakers and stuff like that. And like when I'm at the Hill, there's a lot of people who are writing or like for national defense type stuff. Like those are very kind of specific, super um, knowledgeable audiences. And then you'll have like, you know, CNN or whatever, which is trying to like scoop as many people up in their net as they can. And what's cool about us is like, we're, we're not a trade publication, but our readership is like, skews really um, high information readers and people who are super politically knowledgeable and plugged in, um, which is really cool because that also is the foundation for like the longest TPM tradition of give and take with our readers. And like we have a lot of people who will be experts on various things that come up in the news and they'll like, you know, give us tips or just like background information and some become sources. And like that's always been a really cool relationship. Um, And that also kind of elevates the the journalism we do because we don't have to write pieces that are like, you know, here's what a debt ceiling is. It's like everybody kind of knows. So then we're allowed to kind of like assume that base of knowledge and like do more kind of like sophisticated, high level stuff, knowing that um, our readers are on that same level and we like never like have to condescend to them in a way that I think other um, outlets like do do a bit. So um, yeah, the, the readership thing is also really key to making this a very like different newsroom than, than at other places. You know, one of the things is I talk a lot about and, and in, in this podcast and in various posts on the site over the years, talk a lot about the business model of other news organizations and why we are different because our business model is different, that because we're not responding to the same business model pressures. And the thing is about that, that our business model 
used to be a lot more like theirs. And it was because of that, that I learned what those pressures were, are, because I was very involved in our advertising business. I don't think in a way that that compromised me in any way, um, but like that took up a lot of my time. Sort of what is our ad strategy? Who are, you know, all, all the kind of stuff that goes into, and I'll tell you, it was stressful. <laughs> it was really stressful because here's the thing. Um, you know, the last few years have been very challenging for TPM, but fundamentally we have about 30,000 subscribers who there are subscribers. So we know to a great certainty where the great bulk of the money is going to come from at the beginning of the year. We may lose some subscribers, we may gain some subscribers. So there's still a lot of challenges there, but you know basically and for a lot of the history of the organization, we went into every year with like maybe a budget of like $2 million. And how much of it do you have booked in advance? None. None. So kind of like you, you get a running start at the beginning of the year and you were trying to come up with all of that money. And basically each year we were, we were able to do it. But I mean, man, that's stressful. That is really, really stressful. But here's the thing. So as I said before, advertising used to be our thing. And it was clear to me from the very beginning, we're not, and, and let, me, let me back up and here's another kind of element of, of how things used to work. Um, you start with the fact there is a huge inverse premium for news in the advertising space. And that inverse premium has become much bigger over the course of the last 10 or 15 years as politics has become more polarized, more divisive, more toxic. So if you say you have a, a, a news website and it gets tons of huge audience and say the audience is even the people who advertisers want, you know, people in the sort of the middle decades of their life have a lot of spending money, all that kind of stuff. And you're like, man, I'm golden. We're going to make tons of money, right? Got all these people. They're sort of the affluent people that advertisers want to advertise to. So, you know, show me the money. And the advertisers say like, no, because we don't want to be near your stuff because your stuff is upsetting. It, it, it bumps people out. We're here. We want to sell a fancy watch. We don't want to be, be putting our fancy watch that makes you feel good about yourself and, and makes you feel fancy and stuff up against some kind of person who's, who's going to jail for taking a bribe. Or, or it's, it's upsetting. We don't want to be near it. There's, this, there's uh, this interview show where they just talk to people about their cute animals. That's awesome. We want to be near, near that. So there's a huge inverse premium for politics. People don't want to be near politics. Okay. But there's one exception to that. And that is that corporate America needs to be talking to the people who run the federal government. And that means that there's a whole different advertising market in Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C., the kind of the outlying media market, uh, to a certain extent, people outside of Washington, D.C. are still kind of plugged into that stuff. But that is a different market. And, and, and there, the top, the subject is politics. So it's okay. All right. But within that, you are talking to the people who run the government. So you can't be like associated with one side or another 
and you can't be associated with stuff that's a little too edgy. So it, for advertising, you need to say, we are, uh, you know, very, very fair. Um, we're down the middle. We're looking at the, the good ideas on both sides of the aisle. Um, we're looking at the whole picture. Um, we've got a lot of key audience members on both sides of the aisle. Uh, we have events with people on both sides of the aisle. Okay. So when I kind of got into that, I was like, okay, that's not going to fly for us. <laughs> that's not going to, that's not going to pass the laugh test. So how are we going to do this? So, um, I came up with this, uh, angle, which had the kind of the benefit of actually being true and being a real thing of saying like, okay, look, we're, we're not, we're not that thing. We're not the national journal. We're not like, um, Politico and whatever, but a certain kind of, of people on the center left of politics are really into us and really trust us and trust our presentation of the news and, and blah, 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 blah. And you need to talk to those people. And you obviously need to talk to lots of people, but you should be talking to those people. So you should, you should put us on the ad buy too, because that makes sense because you need to be in touch with those people as well and, uh, and whatever. And that was a convincing enough argument that we did a pretty decent advertising business for a number of years. Um, but being in that space allowed me to learn very up close. Why is Politico like that? Why is Axios like that? It's not because the journalists are hacks. They may also be hacks. Some of them are hacks. But it's not because they're hacks. A lot of the journalists are great. There are a bunch of them we would hire in a second if we could. It's because you, you understand the business model and what the, and what the pressures are. And an additional point, the big money now for those places, it's not even in the journalism. It's not, the big money is not coming from the, the newsletter. It's that the newsletter creates the prominence and then they do the, the, um, the events. They get, oh, Congressman so-and-so is going to sit down with us and talk about innovations in uh, removing people from, you know, taking away people's Medicaid. It's, it's, it's the latest thing, and we're going we're gonna to talk about it. And uh, Fred from uh, Edna is, gonna, is, is going to share some remarks, too. That's money. That is money. Because Fred wants to be at the event with Congressman so-and-so. Just, there's no, there's no quid pro quo exactly. You just, you want to be close. You want to be, that's the money. Right. And as you can see, that's not gonna work for us. Right. I mean, you know, believe me, I, I, I worked there for a long time. It's, it's, it's a stretch. Right. Um, and those are, but the point is, it helped me understand at a very deep intuitive level. I know why you guys operate that way. Cause I understand your business model. You can't not operate that way. There's one, uh, one anecdote to just <laughs> drive home the difference here is I won't name the company or the person, but a couple of years ago, uh, a large company that everyone in America would know reached out to us for a, a, a request for a proposal. And um, we hadn't heard back from them. And so you reached out to someone, Josh, you reached out to someone to see like, hey, what's going on? Are we going to hear back? And 
they responded with an article you wrote ripping the company. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't actually say anything. There was no other words in the email. It was just assumed like you guys can consider yourselves out. And yeah, you know, in a lot yeah, of places, yeah. a, a lot of places, I, I can admit. I mean, I don't have like proof of this, but I imagine like they would take some sort of remedy. It's like, okay, well, listen, what if we did if we did X, Y, and Z? Could we get back in on the buy? But with you and at TPM was just like, all right, well, yeah, I guess that's not happening. Let's guess that's that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, that was that was a sort of a. <laughs> and I would say the funny thing is, is that in all of those times that we were in the advertising space, I cannot think of a single time where any advertiser ever said anything to us about, hey, can you can you can you lean off that? Can you do this? Can you do that? Uh, partly because we went into it kind of saying, look, this is who we are. And, and you may not, you might not even like who we are, but you should still be talking to these people. And that and it actually is a good point, right? That's that's that is that it's not a made up argument. That actually makes a lot of sense. Um, so we never had that. Um, but yeah, that was a sort of funny, <laughs> funny example. And you know, it is what it is, right? And 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 it's funny because when I said that stuff before, that, you know, I it really um challenged my uh, creative energies and it and I was pretty pumped when we had successes in that space but when we did shift more when we shifted to subscriptions I did feel like the whole thing is much more coherent now it everything kind of lines up in the same direction because it was never that um, it was never that we we were there there wasn't even a time where there was pressure on us to sort of trim our sails about anything that was that we were covering, but sometimes you be in a thing where they, you know, kind of like, uh, well, do you, do you, you know, every every corporation wants to be in next to the innovation stuff, innovation, innovation. Everybody's about innovation. So you know, do you, do you have you ever thought of having a vertical that was just about innovation? And you start to think like, I mean, why not? I'm for innovation. We'll talk about rocket ships and data. I don't know, you know. Um, so, but the 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 point is, and I remember saying this probably to Joe and other people in the organization, because it was always very apparent to me when we were focused on advertising, um, we could suddenly be out of business, not because of anything we did or any ways that our reporters fell short. Just someone's ad ad strategy changes, and even more specifically, what actually did end up having happening, basically why we had to do all the things we did, is that there's some complexities here. But the big platforms came along and took away all the money. That's basically what happened. Facebook, Google, became big enough, had enough mo monopoly power that they took the advertising money. And it was theirs, and it was no longer available to us. And again, there's some different moving parts and everything, but that's that's the essence of it. Um, and I remember when we were kind of dealing with this and making this transition, and and struggling in in making this transition. That you know, this is good because you can know now that what we have to do journalistically is be the best TPM we can be. We need to do TPM really well because we need everybody to sign up as a subscriber. And then we need to keep them as a subscriber. And we may fail at that, but when you fail at advertising, you say like, well, it turns out 
the Times and Politico was able to both sides better than we were, and now we're fucked. And kind of like, okay, that's tough. I mean, <laughs> like Josh, what you know, sounds like kind of setting us up to fail here, right? How we how are we gonna how how can we do that? But we should we should be able to be as good or better at being TPM as anybody, right? We should be able to do that. That is in our own hands. You know, we we have the tools to do that. So we're not helpless here. We know what it is. We we know what it is we're trying to do. We're experienced at doing it, so we should be able to do it. And and that is kind of empowering as an organization because we can do this. We know how to do this thing. And because our life, our, our survival as an organization is about these subscriptions and people are going to subscribe because it's a really good TPM, we can do that. And that's so, so everything kind of comes into alignment, right? That the, the, uh, the the business, the business um, priorities, aims, kind of benchmarks are identical to the editorial ones. We've got to like hit it out of the park as TPM, and again, we should be pretty well positioned to do that. We may fail, but not because we had no chance. Yeah, there's one thing I want to bring up that comes from the more editorial perspective, but I think it ties into the businessy stuff, which is probably the biggest change in the past four or five years I've been here in like my daily workflow kind of thing is when I started, we we still had what we were calling the news writer position, which was like all about doing kind of fast, quick hits that were mostly just aggregated, right? Like, you know, kind of taking somebody else's story, adding our own context, whatever, like, but turning it around really quickly and doing a lot of these kind of per day. Um, And that's something, and, you know, just an added note of like, every news outlet in the entire world aggregates to some degree, like the New York Times aggregates sometimes, Um, like you can't be the ones to break every single story. But that has like completely gone by the wayside, um, just in, in the past few years I've been here, like even our kind of junior reporters now, um, all the push is towards kind of them doing more original stuff. Um, and, you know, for for senior reporters, it's you know more involved kind of reported out things. But like, how did that kind of play out? Um, you know, was that tied to the the advertising dip? Is that more of kind of like a philosophical change? Like what was kind of behind the the big shift away from aggregation and really just like doing our own stuff? It's a good question. And and there were actually, I think there's several different several different parts of that. Advertising is one big part of it. Um, I think there's really three things. Um, one is that I have always been very into the idea that getting someone on the phone is just one way you are getting information that you can pull together and put in front of readers. There is There are lots of nuggets of information that you can mine out of other people's articles, often nuggets that they didn't even quite understand the significance of, right? Um, and you take the one thing you got off the phone and the two facts you got from this article and the other two facts you got from another article and some th- something you got out of a database somewhere and you pull it all together and that's a thing. And that to me is as much journalism as, you know, something you get in quotes and, you know, kind of a more traditional shoe leather working the phones kind of thing. And so to me, 
there was never a bright line. I didn't want there to be a bright line between reporting and aggregation that the two things should sort of mix seamlessly. And, um, but over time, because the organization is not just one kind of idiosyncratic guy, me, you have to kind of make it work as a routine that a lot of that ended up being more kind of evolved towards a little more traditional aggregation, a little more taking someone's story and kind of, you know, writing it up with a little slightly different take or something like that. Um, and so part of the change was realizing like, we're not quite doing that thing you described, Josh, that we're, a lot of this is just aggregation in a more, in a more traditional sense. So one part of it was that. A big part of it was the advertising model, as you described, that the advertising model mean that we needed a certain number of page views because fundamentally we were in the page view business, right? We needed to sell page views to advertisers. Um, so you, you've got to keep producing stuff uh, to, to keep the page views going, you know? So in that sense, uh, it was very much about, about, advertising if 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 audiences if if page view levels went down our money went down that's what we were selling page views so advertising had a had a had a big influence of it there but the third which is also super super important is that the evolution of social media particularly twitter meant that if you were a news junkie and you needed to kind of have every new development kind of served up to you the second it happened which was kind of one of the things we did. You just go on Twitter with a good with a good you know with a good list of follows, and you're gonna and you're gonna get it. So to a to a great extent, what you know for that thing we did, Twitter did it better, right? Um, and so it was really all three of those things together um, that pushed us in that direction. And I would say, in some key ways, I resisted that change. Not because I didn't agree with it as as I've just described it, but it was so much what I knew in how I had kind of built up the organization that that kind of, you know, frenetic being present for every tick tock of the, I mean, tick tock, for every tick and talk of the, of the development of the story was very hard for me to move away from. But those are the, I think, I mean, Joe, you probably have something to add to this, but I think those are the, those three things are the... Yeah, I would the put reason a, for the shift. I think I would dig a little deeper just from the advertising, the business perspective on the advertising and the social media piece. So, like, um, not to get too inside baseball, but around when I started at TPM, my actual main job was managing what is called programmatic advertising, which is when instead of going out to a particular advertiser, you have a relationship with an ad network. So you're managing a network which can serve any number of advertisements from any number of companies. At the time I started from about 2013 to I would say through 2015, 16, maybe into 2017, there was a boom in programmatic advertising. So there were tons of, of companies coming into that space that had raised tons of uh, money from venture capital. The one that most people know will know is Google Ad Exchange. Obviously, everyone knows Google. But then there were hundreds of these companies and you could basically play them against each other to get higher and higher rates. And so the value of traffic then 
was literally higher. Like one page view then was worth like three, four, five times what one page view is worth now. So that's one piece of it. You add in that fact that the social networks were kind of doing their own thing in a similar way where they were they were really into news at the time. They had figured out that if you flood people's news feeds with news, they will react to it and that will supercharge a lot of what they want to do. So you could publish something. And the thing that comes to mind that was kind of famous in the industry was uh, like the John Oliver when his show started. And every morning there would be like an arms race to see who's going to put up the clips from John Oliver that were going to go viral on Facebook and get a gazillion page views and rinse and repeat. And you could do the same thing with Talking Heads on Fox, on MSNBC. And you could do it was basically like you could write a quote. And it was like a one sentence story. And that could be millions of page views, which would literally be thousands of thousands of dollars for basically no effort. That all went away when they changed the algorithms, when most of those programmatic ad networks went out of business and things kind of like came back down to reality. Uh, and so if you just separate that out from what you were saying about the editorial imperatives and how it was adding less value on Twitter, because Twitter came along and was, you know, do, doing a lot of this and updating people in real time. The literal business economics changed dramatically over the last several years. And, you know, that's why when you see some of these new entrants to the field now, um, you know, like there's this company, The Messenger, and people have joked that it seems like they're a, com a news company from another time because they're publishing all these stories and they have a lot of programmatic ads. And so when I see that, it's like it's very familiar to me, but it's like anachronistic in a sense, right? It doesn't really fit with the current landscape where what people really want, and I'm not the first to make this point, lots of people have said this in advertising these days, they actually want kind of like smaller niche audiences where they can, where they can uh, almost going back to like magazine models is the way it seems like it's moving, where it's less about how many people can we reach and it's more about we want to reach these kinds of people and we want to have this kind of particular brand safety. And so that has changed a lot and it, and it affects uh, the value of publishing lots of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, um, it, 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 it's funny. One thing, one thing we have always been very good at by necessity is there are these there are these kind of boom and busts that are driven by venture capital investment um, in in the time that Joe is talking about, we were making a lot of money from programmatic advertising because you had these VC-backed entrants trying to grab up market share. So they're paying more than something is worth because they're trying to get market share, right? So lose money in the short term, get market share, some monopoly power, then raise raise rates, you know, kind of very standard um, economic story. Um, and we have always been very canny at like, okay, cool. We'll ride that wave with you, right? It's not going to last forever, but as long as the wave is 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 rising, let's do it. Um, you know, and some of our longtime readers will know that back in two oh God, 2007, 2008, we had this uh, <laughs> four days a week web show that we did. And man, I will tell you, because I, I did it with, with our then video editor, Ben Craw, and coming up with a new five-minute edited video show every day is a huge amount of work. But the reality was this was back in the time there was a boom about video, right? And everybody was going in. We worked with a company that was eventually bought by YouTube. So those investors lucked out, right? They got, they, they got their returns. And we found this company 
that was going to pay us, pretty sure I have this right, $15,000 a month to do this show, right? And I mean, $15,000 is a lot now, but it was a lot at the time. At the time, um, while we were doing that show, the entire budget of the company was about $45,000 a month. So this was a third of the revenue of the company. And this was at a critical point where we were going from maybe two employees to maybe five employees. So doing that for two years, I was able to kind of almost double the size of the company by, um, by doing this thing. Um, and eventually, and, and the deal was they would, they would uh, 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 cut us this check every month. And I had to pay Ben, but I didn't have to pay myself. I mean, I was paying myself, but I basically, I could just do more. Um, and they would sell ads and get the money back. And if they sold a certain amount of ads, we didn't get more money. Well, basically, I think they sold like one ad in, over the entire two years, right? But like, that wasn't our problem. And, and obviously, it wasn't really their problem in the big picture either, since they eventually stole, sold their startup for probably some crazy amount of money to YouTube. But it's this recurrent... Um, it's this recurrent dynamic through the history of the organization of uh, kind of riding these booms and busts, but you've got to know there's going to be a bust because you're really the indirect recipient of VCs burning money looking for a, looking for the the home run. Um, and what happened in the sort of the 2017, 18, 19, 20 era when you had uh, Mike and all these places were huge and then suddenly they're gone was that they uh, these places did not realize they were in another one of those gold rushes so none of those companies were making money they were all losing money and at the end of the day buzzfeed was losing money right i mean they're okay they sold for like 500 uh, whatever these you know th those investors did great um but it was this shock in the industry when suddenly these places just closed and everybody's like, what happened? We were like the huge thing. And now suddenly we're, we're gone and we all lost our jobs. Well, these boom and busts, right? Um, and that is just a kind of a, and there it was sort of like, you know, the pivot to video and kind of all that kind of, a lot of, a lot of it was that, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it is, it, it's not a fun business to be in, but uh, again, what we pitch to you, and remember, we're doing this episode because we need you to, to, to send in some money to the journalism fund. You got to remember that. <laughs> um, what is really key is, is your journalism thing just a bet that the people with the money are figuring, hey, we're pro you're probably just going to go under, but maybe you'll do great and we're just going to see what happens. Or are you kind of, are you actually, this is what you do. You do journalism. And you don't have a you don't have a backup plan to do something else to, to sell soap or something like that. Um, and that I hope and I think at least to a great extent really shapes our whole organization. You know, um, and they're you know uh, downsized to being small and being independent. Um, but there's some upsides too, and we and we think there are uh, we think and we hope that there are also upsides for you as as readers in in you know what we produce as an organization. There's two things that I wanted to mention uh, before we wrap up. The first is I just can't emphasize enough how important the difference is between a company that wants to be profitable year to year, which is simply making more money than you spend and being able to pay all your bills, and companies that need to maintain specific margins. 
which is like a degree of profitability. So when you see a lot of companies laying people off uh, that are huge and you're like, why do they need to lay people off? That's not because they're necessarily in danger of going out of business so much as they need to maintain specific margins, right? And that's a key difference. Uh, TPM, we can afford to have like, we, we can afford to ha- like take a step back now and then one, to retrench. over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And that's a huge, 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 huge difference. And the second thing, which is related to, to that in a way, uh, but I had to, I have to mention it um, while we're doing this pod is um, like the, the TPM is a unionized newsroom, which is great and awesome. And there's this stigma that has been created largely by these companies that don't want to have a unionized workforce that when you unionize, you create like it, you basically are kneecapping the company and sending it backwards, spiraling out of control. And there's no way that management could possibly survive and the company is in danger. And it's just not the case. It's just not the case. Like if you manage the company well and your and your staff wants to unionize and you just talk to them like human beings and you listen to what they're saying and they listen to what you're saying it can actually add a lot of clarity in out years about what your expenses are going to be and it reduces confusion and the, the it, it can be a net positive and i and not just for the people in the union for the whole company and i think it's just kind of it, it, through the power of large corporations and the law firms they hire there's this idea that the unions are somehow what makes a company not profitable or they make it like way harder. And while we're talking about the business of of journalism, I just would be remiss if I didn't mention that like, that's just not the case. If anyone says that they're either lying or they're bad at their job. Um, And full stop. Okay. That's, that's, I'll get off the soapbox now. (laughs) The uh, the last thing I want to say before we wrap up uh, is just in terms of, you know, the, the journalism fund and everything else is like we are so much smaller than the outlets that we're going head to head with. Like we have four reporters right now total. Um, and, you know, we're regularly, you know, breaking news and, and adjust, uh, changing the conversation and like contributing in a, in a really important way. So I think uh, because our, you know, our pub team makes everything look so like nice and shiny, it can like be easy to think that we're like a lot bigger than we are, but we're, we're so, so small. And like, whenever I'm at the Hill for a long time, it was me and then like 50 people from Politico and like, that's what's going on. So just, and I know all already our listeners are, you know, generally like, you know, so supportive and everything, but we really are like punching above our weight in all of these really significant ways and, you know, reader support both like monetarily and through reading our stuff and emailing in and everything has always been like the bedrock of who we are. So, you know, it's just, if you, if you like your, your news, small, independent and scrappy, we're the place to go. <laughs> Let me add one point about that. I mean, that I am for years and years and years, we have this thing where I will talk to readers and they will have some suggestion or criticism or something, you know, positive and negative. But it is clear when you talk to them, they have no idea how small we, we are. Like, you need to bring someone in from the publicity team to do. I'm like, dude, 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 there's no publicity team. That team doesn't exist. Like, you know, or bring in a, a team of reporters to do like, dude, dude, the whole, the whole team is a team. You know, and and what Kate just said there, you know, right now we have four, and partly that, just this this context is important to know. 
we have four reporters right now because we have one open position that is is in the process of being filled. One of the things that this drive is about is I want us to have six reporters next year. And we need this drive to go well to make that plausible financially. So you get a sense of the nuts and bolts of how all this um, functions. And even with the open slot, I mean, I'm probably, I don't know, Joe or maybe David's going to get like, you know, uh, uh, nervous about this that I say things like this. But like, we, we kind of hold off for a little bit, kind of like, oh, let's see how the drive goes to kind of like, what can we, you know, how much experience can, can a person can we hire? Right, because because we this gives us this gives us visibility into um, next year. And let me say something about about the union thing. And I don't think I've ever said this publicly. I probably shouldn't, but um, it gives you it gives you some sense of 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 the dynamics. Um, before our staff unionized, I was terrified that they would unionize. Terrified, and you're probably like Josh. What are you saying, man? What's I your am, problem? That is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Well, I won't tell what you were saying. You, you're, you're, you have your own thing, Joe. But the reason was, the reason I was, I was, I was terrified was kind of what I've described to you that I had the experience of over many years what felt like um, flying a plane fifty feet off the ground and getting experienced, kind of like. You're going to be flying along. There's a building you have to swerve out of the way. There's a tree you have to swerve out of the way. And it's like nerve wracking and you have to kind of do everything right or the thing, or you'll crash, right? And it wasn't about like, oh, well, they'll, they'll make us unprofitable. It was more kind of like, I think I was worried because it was sort of like, again, I had this experience of a pilot flying a plane you know, a half working plane, 50 feet off the ground and that I had gotten used to, I was, I was able to do it. And it kind of felt like, you're like, oh, I'm going to have someone come else. And I'm like, Josh, let me fly it for a while. I'm like, dude, 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 no, no, you, know, you don't understand. You don't know what's going to happen. There's going to be a, a building and a plane. You'd have to do this and that and the other. Let me fly the plane. Do not try to fly the plane. Um, and look, I think actions speak louder than words. You know, when, when uh, the staff came to me and said, we want to form a union. I think I, I, I agreed to it without conditions in like 45 minutes or something like that. Because at the end of the day, that's what I believe in. And I believe in not being a hypocrite, right? Um, but I did have that fear based on that experience because it's a, it's a challenging thing to run an organization like this, right? And to keep it moving forward. Um, and probably, you know, my shrink would say, you're also kind of a control freak, Josh, and you can't, you know, you can't let go and all this kind of stuff. And that's also true. Um, but the reality is, um, and, you know, uh, part of the reality is that I have, uh, you know, uh, Joe and David, who are the heads of, of, you know, the publishing side of the organization, the editorial side of the organization, kind of manage that, you know, kind of man, I mean, I make the dis, the big decisions at the end of the day, but, you know, manage the negotiations and all, all, that, all that kind of stuff. And it's probably good not to be exposed to all my control freakness and stuff like that. Um, but the reality is that it has made the organization function better. 
in addition not to kind of endangering the organization and stuff like that, it's actually made it function better. And the, the main reason because of that is, is that um, it gives each side visibility into the other. The staff has more visibility into the function of the organization. And it's never that I, I was probably always kind of happy to, I mean, you can see in this episode, I'm always happy to, to explain the sort of, you know, the inner functionings of TPM and the genius who runs it, right? Um, but I'm the boss and that, that conversation is really not going to happen, really, right? Um, and we have more visibility into the staff. Because if something is up and, and everybody's upset about something, we're going to find out about it. Because it's going to come up through the union thing. Um, and I was always, and this is always one of the funniest things about funny, often not funny about, about running an organization like this. And it probably comes back to that control freak stuff. Um, I was always stunned in the pre-union era of TPM. Um, we would have staff issues, you know, just things that come up in any organization. People are upset about this, upset about that. And we would find out that um, people were upset because they thought we were doing, thought we were doing or thinking things that we weren't doing at all. But because they didn't, because the staff didn't have visibility or, and a lot of that is you kind of have, don't have visibility because you don't ask directly, but you don't ask the boss directly things. It's kind of in the nature of things, right? And almost like conspiracy theories, like, well, we thought you were doing this to make this happen and, and that and the other. And we're like, dude, what are you talking about? We're not doing that. Like, that's, that's, that's crazy. What, that's, that's totally. But you see how um, that mutual visibility, right? If you guys have a problem, we're going to find out about you. We have this channel through the, through the, um, uh, through the framework that the, the union and the CBA has created. Um, that has, that has swept a lot of that stuff away. Right. And, and, and kind of, there's more understanding on, on both sides. So, uh, I don't know, that's always, you know, you, I was telling someone a few days ago, you, you, uh, you're not responsible for things you think you're responsible for things you do. So that's why I'm totally union approved. I, you know, speaks for itself, right? I, I did the right thing. But I thought it was just, you know, I believe in transparency and I was worried about it because I was used to kind of flying that plane, you know, 20 feet off the ground. And I was worried what would happen um, if I had to cede some control to anybody who did not have the experience that I had, you know. Um, so that's your special Josh story of, of, of this. Anything else we want to get into? I don't that think about it. Give yeah. to the journalism fund if you're yeah. not a member and you can uh, afford to become a member. You should do that too. Yeah. Or yeah. if you can't, you can become a member. We can give you a free one. Community supported membership. So no matter or, what, you should be a member. Yeah, you should be. And also, if you are, so if you are in a fixed income, if you really cannot afford it, we have a free membership for you. And also, if you are a registered student, if you're a student, you don't have to be a full time student because we know that. If you're if if you don't have someone to pay your tuition, it's going to be a hard time to be a full time student. Just registered. You you you're a student at a community college. Um, any any you know any registered student, we will give you a free membership. So yeah, take us up on it. And if you go to the site, you look at um, 
if you go to the page where you can sign up to become a member, it tells you how to do it and everything, or you can, you know, kind of email us and stuff like that. So yeah, become a member. Hopefully it's a, it's, you know, we need, we need all the paying memberships we can, we can get. But if, if you're in one of those two categories, we'll pick up the tab for you. And uh, thank you so much for, if you're a member, for being a member, if you're a reader, for being a reader, if you are a supporter through the journalism fund, thank you for that too. Um, if you're not, you can get inclu- included on the thank you list next time. If you just do the right thing and contribute to this year's journalism fund drive. Um, so thank you so much. And uh, Kate and I will be back next week with another regular edition of the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, Joe. Later. See you next week, guys. The Josh Marshall podcast is hosted by me, TPM reporter Kate Riga and TPM founder, editor in chief, Josh Marshall. The show is produced by Jackie Wilhelm. Thanks to Why Not Jansfeld for our podcast theme song. And thanks to all our TPM members who make this possible. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen. 